I'm Wyatt. I'm uh, the student ministries pastor. I'm upstairs most weeks, but I'm glad to be down here with you guys tonight. We're in the book of Esther. So if you want to grab your Bible, you want to grab your phone, you can open up the book of Esther. Grab your friend, have him help you find it. It's a hard one to find. Short. It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you a hint. Old Testament. Keep, uh, keep looking for it. Or just, you know, do the drop-down menu on your phone. That's pretty easy, too. Um, Hey, we're, uh, we've been in this series for a long time, and I love this series, looking at Esther, looking at Haman, Mordecai, the king, and all this drama that's been going on, and it's leading to this point where basically everything is about to get flipped upside down, okay? So we just had this moment in chapter 6 last week where Esther bravely, courageously uh, has, has gone before the king, actually that's five. And, and she said, I am going to make a request. And, and if you remember that, that was brave because if you go before the king and you don't have an appointment, right, what happens? You get killed, right? Like if you knock on the door and say, hey, thought I dropped by. You want Subway or anything? Dead, okay? Dead. You, just, you can't drop in on the king, okay? He has, to, he has to call you. And Esther decides to put her life on the line, right, to, to pray, to fast, to ask for God's protection, and to go before the king, right, who, by the way, is the king kind to Esther? Does the king treat Esther well? Not, not so much, right? If you remember the story, Esther was ripped out of her home, right? She was forced basically into sexual slavery in the, in the palace, right? So this is, this is what's going on in Esther's life. And Esther now is in this spot where she has to go before the king, right, this man who's stolen her from her family, and risk getting killed to go and to ask a request. That's been what's building up here. And what is she asking for? Why is, she worth, why is this worth it? Why is she going to put her life on the line to trust God to go ask for something? What's she going to ask for? To save the Jews. To save the Jews, right? She's a Jew, right? Her people, there's been a decree that's gone out that all her people are going to be killed on a day that's just in the future, right? Because this man named Haman has put this plot in place Okay, and, and what do you guys know about Haman so far in this story? Does anybody know anything about Haman? He's bad. That's a good thing. Okay, if we're going to remember anything about Haman, he's bad, right? He is the evil character in this story, even more so than the king, Xerxes, the king, king of Persia. He's kind of like a doofus in this story, right? He's not good, but he's not portrayed as the main evil person. That's Haman, right? Haman got offended because Mordecai, another Jew, wouldn't bow down to him, wouldn't show him the honor that he thought he deserved. And so rather than just like having you know, a kind and professional conversation with Mordecai, he decided to have his entire people killed, right? So a little bit of overkill. Haman's evil. Haman loves one person in the whole world. Who is that? Haman, okay? Haman loves Haman. Haman is all about Haman, okay? Do you know anybody in your life that's that way? I hope, I hope you don't know too many, right? But like Haman just only cares about one person in the whole world. That's himself. He loves himself. He thinks he's awesome, right? There's this whole speech. We're going to see it in a little bit. He just, I've got this awesome job, awesome family. I'm an awesome person. I get invited to awesome dinner parties. That's Haman, okay? So, so Haman, very proud. Is he, is he important, Mm, tough question. He, uh, you're getting all theological on me. I like that. Okay. You know, he's pretty important. He's like the second highest person in the entire kingdom. Okay. He's got, he's got some power. What he wants to get done gets done. In fact, the king took his ring off of his finger and he gave it to Haman. Okay. And that's not just like a weird gift. Like if I, if I did that to you, You'd be like, thanks, your wedding ring, that's weird. Like, are things okay at home? You know? Um, 
That's not what it is, okay? The ring is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of power, right? And, and what, what the king did is he took the ring off his finger and he gave it to Haman. And he said, Haman, when I give you this ring, it means that whatever you want to do, you can do it in my name, right? The ring was what they used to stamp letters, okay? And it had a symbol on it. And when people would open up a letter, they would see that it was sealed with the king's seal, that the king himself authorized this. The king took it off of his finger, gave it to Haman. Whatever Haman wants to do, he gets to do in the king's name. That is how Haman has, to, has set this whole thing up to kill all the Jews. It's, actually, it's important that we get that because the king, even though it was his ring and even though the, the decree went out in his name, he doesn't really know what's going on. Remember I said he was kind of portrayed as a doofus in this story, right? Like his, his own authority as king has been taken from him and, and something has been gone out in his name that he knows absolutely nothing about, right? It'd be like I, I'm the pastor over ASM, right? It'd be like if I just didn't ever show up to work and I just like handed one of my, my rings to you guys and was like, yeah, just whatever you guys want to do, go, I don't care, you know? And then like people ask me a question about ASM, like, hey, do you guys know there's this awesome summer camp? You know, we're going to Cascades this summer, high school, we're going to Kukanusa. I'm like, oh, really? That's weird. Like, I didn't get invited. You know, it's like, it's your trip. You know, what? What? No. Oh, yeah, news to me. You know, that's, that's basically the king at this point, right? He, laws are going out, decrees are going out. He doesn't know anything about it. And here we are, okay? So Esther is in the throne room right? She's about to make this request of the king to say, will you overturn this? Would you spare my people, right? And and who is she in the room with? Haman. Haman, who caused it, the king whose authority it went out, and Esther, who doesn't have any power, right? Who doesn't have the ability to make things happen, who only can humbly go before the king and trust God, okay? And that's, that's where we're at. This story is a story about pride, and humility. Okay, these two characters, Esther in this story is humble. She's trusted God. She's prayed. She doesn't have the authority to make things happen on her own, right? All she can do is trust that God's going to work and go before the king. Haman is this, this huge example of pride. He's all about himself. He has confidence in himself, right? He, he loves himself, and he, he's been planning this, setting this whole thing up in motion, all him, and these two stories are going to collide in this chapter in, in chapter uh, seven here. So uh, before we jump in, we got to know what we're talking about, okay? Pride. So I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to turn to one or two people around you. I want you guys to, to define what is pride, okay? What does it mean? And I'm going to call on a couple of you to tell me what you think pride is, okay? How do we define pride? What is it? Go ahead. Hey, yeah, no, no phone definitions. No Google. I want, you, I want you to use your brains. Go for it. I like it. All right, bring it back in. Who, who can give me your best shot? What is pride? Can you tell me? The elites in Halo. 
No, you you have to explain it to me. Don't tell me to think about it. Okay, that's that's deep. That's deeper than I plan on going tonight. Um, okay, let's try again. Pride. Pride is thinking yourself more highly than you should. Okay, thinking of yourself more highly than you should. Thinking you're better. Thinking you're more important. Okay, good. Anybody else? Acknowledging greatness in your opinion. What does that help me understand that? What does it mean to acknowledge greatness in your opinion? Like you think you're great? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah like you think you're awesome. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Ooh. Being unaware of your surroundings because of how self-absorbed you are. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. The opposite of humility. Totally true. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Arrogance. So arrogance is being too confident, right? Like overly confident in your own abilities, in your ability to know what's coming up. That's Haman. He's at that spot right now. Yeah. Be, say that again. Yeah, you're proud of yourself, right? Like it's it's your opinion of yourself. Okay, pride. I love this. You guys have said a lot of good. Do you want to say one more? Okay. Well, all this stuff, thinking too highly of yourself, being too confident in yourself. Okay, and here's what we have to understand. Pride is a direct result of a worldview that's completely self-centered. Okay, where you walk into a room and what you're thinking about is how people think of you right? Whether they like you, whether they're paying attention to you, right? You, you say something, you tell a joke, you're waiting to see how much people laugh around you because you want to see how funny that, that they think that you are, right? When, when you trip or mess up or whatever, you look around because you want to see if anybody noticed that you messed up because all you can think about is whether people like you. Has that happened to anybody? Okay. It's a self-centered worldview. And here's the deal. Pride, get this, this is crazy. Pride and despair can go hand in hand. You might be here thinking, like, I'm, I am the least proud person because I think I'm worthless. Like, I think people don't like me. I'm not confident at all. I get, you know, I'm, I'm nervous to be around people. I don't even like people because I just know that they don't like me. And here's the deal. Those two things can actually go together. They're two sides of a coin. They're both the self-centered worldview. All you're, all you're doing is looking around. Do people like me? What do they think of me? All this kind of stuff. And if you do cool stuff and they like you and they laugh, at you, and they, they laugh with you, they laugh at your jokes, right, then, then you feel good about that. That's pride right? If you tell that same joke and nobody laughs and they look at you weird, right? You're like, oh, I suck, you know? Um, that's just the other side of the coin, right? That's the same, that's the same self-centeredness. And, and here's the deal about pride and self-centeredness. Man, it will turn on you in a second. And that's what's going to happen in this story. Anybody do sports? Track and field? Anybody? Track and field is like a half sport. It's like half athleticism, half just socializing with people on the field, right? I mean, half of the people who do track do it to hang out with their friends, okay? So um, I did track and field. Uh, I think we have some pictures of that, Dustin. You put, I threw javelin. There's me throwing javelin. Look at that haircut, you guys. Okay? Okay, check this out. I found this, I found this progression of me throwing discus, okay? We're just going to work through these one at a time. This is me, track meet. Uh, I'm warming up, okay? This is what it looks like. Let's go to the next one. Okay, good. Good form. The next one. 
Okay, good, good. Oh! So it's been a while, but I don't think that's how the discus is supposed to come out of your hand when you finish throwing. That was me at my prime. That was the state track meet my senior year. Okay, here's the deal. Here's what happened. My senior year at this meet, we won the state championship, okay? The men's team won the state championship, okay? The next week at school, because of my athleticism, do you see that? Um, we, we, we can take that down. Um, okay, we won, we won the state championship, okay? The very next week, there's an assembly specifically for the purpose of honoring the fact that we won the state championship, okay? So the whole, the whole school is in this assembly, and they're, they're getting ready, and the, and the coach comes on stage, and he's like, let's welcome the guys' team, state champions, everybody's clapping, right? And I'm a part of the team, so I get to go up. So I'm coming up, and there's stairs on the left side of the stage, and there's stairs on the right side of the stage, okay? But I'm kind of in the middle of the room, and, I mean, I'm a state champion, so I, rather than using the stairs, I decide I'm just going to, like, hop up onto the stage like this, right? But Skinny jeans had just become a thing, right? And, and so I'm in these jeans, and in front of the entire school, I just, I'm like one inch short, right? And so I'm, I'm leaping up, and my right foot just catches the stage, and I just go spread eagle, right? Just flat on my face in front of the entire school at an assembly celebrating my athletic achievements, okay? So here's the deal. Here's what pride is, right? I'm at an assembly, I love the fact I'm getting honored, right? We won. Everybody in the whole school is looking at us, cheering us on. I, I don't know if you can picture, like, put yourself in that situation. I don't know what you do, whether it's sports or whatever, but that, that moment where you're like, I am awesome, right? And if that's what you're looking for joy and satisfaction and worth in, it turns on you in a second, right? Rather than being honored, rather than people looking at you thinking you're cool, people are laughing at you because you fell on your face in front of the whole school like an idiot, right? So that's pride. Okay, and this is where Haman is, okay? Let's read the passage. We're going to get into, read into this. Look at it with me. Ezra chapter 7, okay? Haman has planned everything, right? He's second in command in the whole nation, right? He's taken the king's authority. He, he's got the ring. He can do whatever he wants. Everything is in his hands. That's his whole life story, right? But things have turned on him in 6. Here we are in 7. It says this. So the king... And Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. She's having him over, right? She's going to make her request. And they were drinking wine on the second day. They like to do that. If you've been in this story, they, they drink a lot. Okay, so they're, they're drinking. They're at this banquet. The king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? What do you, what do you want? It will be given you. What, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Right? Even if you want half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. Anything you want, you tell me it's yours. Verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, then grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Okay. She says, spare me. Spare my life. And I want, I want you to just think about being Haman in this moment, okay? You're in the room with the king. 
who knows nothing about the fact that you're trying to kill all the Jews, okay? You also, you have no idea that Esther is a Jew. Totally off your radar. You're just drinking your wine, having a great time, okay? And suddenly, Esther starts talking about saving her people who have been sold to be destroyed. And suddenly, you're wondering, oh no, I may have gotten into trouble here, right? I may have tried to do something that's going to backfire because the queen is now talking to the king about my plot. King Xerxes, verse 5, asked Queen Esther, who is he? Right? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Who is the idiot that thought that he could kill my queen's entire people group? Right? You, gotta, you tell me who the guy is. And if you're Haman, you're just like, I don't know who he is. Who, who is he? Verse 6, Esther said, an adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. Okay? Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage. He left his wine, and he went out to the palace garden, but Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life, right? The king hears this. He's furious. He can't believe what Haman did. He, he leaves. He's like, I'm, I'm out of here, right? He's, he's furious. Haman's like, this is not going to go well for me, right? The king likes to kill people that he's upset with, right? So Haman stays. He doesn't even follow the king. It's like, the king has made up his mind. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to beg Esther, right? I'm just going to I'm just going to get down on my hands and knees and just beg her, right? And it says that Esther is on her couch, on her bed. She, she's like, she's done. She's done her thing. She's just, she's going to relax now. And Haman goes up to her and he's, he's falling on this couch, right? And here's what it says. Verse 8, just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining, begging, right? And the king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Right? He sees this, and now his entire view of Haman has changed, and he thinks that Haman is basically trying to you know, molest the, the queen, trying to, trying to make a sexual advance towards her. Now, is he? Nope, right? But this is what happens, right? You break someone's trust. You lie about what you're doing. Right? You, you try to, to trick somebody, you try to make them think something other than that, and suddenly everything you do, they think the worst of you. Right? Every opportunity you give them, they think that you're trying to do something bad again. This is exactly what Haman falls into right now. Haman's not doing anything wrong right now, right? but because he's been a prideful, arrogant, lying, deceptive person, the king sees something, thinks the worst of him. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Haman trying to kill Mordecai, his wife had told him, hey, great idea. Let's like build this awesome, huge pole. And then we can all celebrate when we kill Mordecai and put him on it, right? Let's take the good guy. Let's throw him on the pole and kill him. And then everybody will know that you're awesome and he sucks, right? And so Haman's in this, in this trouble and somebody in the palace is like, man, you know what? It's, it just happens. There's this giant pole at, over at Haman's house. Like how convenient we want to kill Haman. And there's this pole right by his house. And, and so the king said, well, Impale him on it, right? So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's fury subsided. That's the end of Haman in this story, right? His pride, right? His desire to honored led him to hate Mordecai, on which to kill Mordecai, which ended up being the very thing that he was killed on. His own pride 
was his downfall, right? And, and this is the same for us. It's the same for us. If you're prideful, if you have this self-centered worldview, if your whole life is about, is about what people think of you and trying to, trying to win their approval, get them to like you, get them to laugh at your jokes, get them to like the way that you're dressed, right? Being the popular person that everybody looks to, that will be the thing that is your downfall because you can't ever get it. There's always more, right? It forces you into this spot of always just putting this image up of yourself of trying to make people think highly of you, right? And you're probably not going to be impaled on a pole for it. But it will be the thing that robs you of joy, right? It'll be the thing that keeps you from walking with Jesus in confidence, okay? And we, we've got to get this pride thing dealt with. What does this mean as we walk with Jesus? I think it's so important we, we ask this, this question, right? When we, when we read the Old Testament, where do we see Jesus in this? How do we respond as followers of Jesus? There's this really cool story in the New Testament, okay? Mark chapter 10. Jesus is walking with his disciples. It says that, uh, that James and John, two of his disciples that he's close with, they kind of get him alone, okay? And, and, and the other 10 disciples are off on their own. And they approach Jesus and they say, Jesus, I... We want you to do whatever we ask of you. It's a weird thing to say to Jesus, right? Don't pray that way. Jesus, before I tell you what I want, just do whatever I say, okay? No, right? We don't boss Jesus around. But, but they say, look, Jesus, we're going to ask you something, and whatever it is, just you got to do it, okay? And Jesus very graciously, he just says, okay, well, what do you, what do you want? So Jesus asks them what they want. James and John, they say to him, when you come into your kingdom, we want to be at your right hand and at your left hand, right? Now, that's a little bit confusing. Here's what they're saying, right? When you come in, when you, when you kick the Romans out, when, when you've shown your power, right? When you're the king, when you're on your throne, look, we know we won't be number one, right? We won't be, we won't be you. You get to be you. You be on the throne. But we want to be number two and number three. We want to be the people that are just kind of like off of the side, photobombing your glory, right? Like we, we want to be the people that people look at when they're trying to look at you, but we're there, right? And people wonder like, who are those people? They look cool. They're, on the, they're, they're by Jesus. They're like, oh, that's James and John. They're, they're number two and number three, right? That's, that's what we want, okay? Now, you're the king. You get to that, but, but we want to be number two and number three. Well, guess what happens when the other 10 disciples found out that while well, they were out like building the fire or whatever, James and John were trying to get those spots. They're not happy about it. Right? They're like, what the heck, you know? I, we want to be number two and number three. Why, why do you think you get to be that? Why, why are you trying to get Jesus to give you that? So they're, they're fighting each other. They're going back and forth. And, and this is what Jesus says. I love this passage. This, this from Jesus, okay? He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, right? He says, look, you know how the world works. You know that if somebody's in charge, that if they're the boss, right, if they're the ones that get the glory, if they're the ones that people look at, you know people lord it over them, right? If you're the best at something, if you're, if you're in charge, you get to rub it in people's face. You get people to look at you and praise you and say you're great. You, you get that. That's how the Gentiles work. That's how the world works, right? If you're the best on the soccer team, you get to have everybody know that. You get people to talk about how awesome you are. You get other people to, to ask you, man, how many goals did you get last night, right? If you're the best musician, you get the solo. 
you get to go up front, you get people to look at you, you get to compliment you, talk to you afterwards, right? If you're the best student, right, you get to be the valedictorian. And everybody looks up at you and you give some lame speech, right? That's, that's how it works. You're not in high school yet. Trust me, that's how it works, okay? Right? If you're the funniest kid in your friend group, everybody gets to laugh at your jokes and, and think that you're awesome and funny and people look at you and you get, kind of, you get their praise. You get their, you get their admiration. This is how the world works. Jesus is saying this. You know, okay, the Gentiles lord it over you. Not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus' followers, right? If you're going to be my disciples, that's not how it's going to work with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to walk with Jesus, it doesn't look like making yourself great, building your brand, getting people to love you, right? looking for their approval. If you want to walk with Jesus, it looks like serving, putting other people's first, right? Mimicking Jesus who came to earth for your sake, not to be praised by you, but to die on a cross in your place so that you can be a part of God's family. And how do we do that? Well, the question is where... Where are you going to find your worth and your value? Right? Galatians 4, 5, 4 and 5 says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Right? If you're here, if you know Jesus, you have received adoption as a son or a daughter of God. And, and the question is, when you think about what makes you valuable, right? Where you get your satisfaction from, whose approval you care about, it's either going to come from the fact that you're a son and a daughter of God, that God loves you, that he accepts you, that you're part of his family, that he's given you a mission and a purpose, right? That, that he thinks the world of you, that he holds nothing against you, that's either going to be the thing that makes you feel worthwhile or you're going to be the kind of person who looks for that in everything else you do right? Everywhere you go, you're going to be looking for other people to give you that sense of worth and joy and value. It's going to come from either God or it's going to come from everybody else, and that's what leads to pride, right? And so I want you to ask this question of yourself. We're, we're done. We're going to pray. But where are you looking for that? Where are you looking for your value? Isn't the fact that other people like you? Isn't the fact that they, they think that you wear the right kind of clothes or say the right kind of things, that you're funny, that you're a good student, that you're a good athlete, that you're a good, you fill in the blank. Like, where are you looking for this? And, and are you willing to receive the adoption that comes in Jesus to say, God accepts you as his children. That's enough for you. You can serve others. You can make yourselves the least, right? You can, you can hang out with the people that nobody else wants to hang out with. Right? You, you can not make all these other things the most important thing in your life because you have love and acceptance in Jesus as a part of God's family. That's what adoption allows you to do. Right? That's Esther. She comes before the king, open hands, no ability to do anything, praying, trusting that God's going to take care of her, and he does. Right? Haman's the exact opposite. I want it all for myself. I want people to like me. I want them to look up to me. He ends up on a pole. Which one are you going to be? Let's pray. God, thanks. We love you. And uh, 
Lord, we all deal with pride, each and every one of us. And, and Lord, it just eats us alive. And so I pray uh, tonight for any of these students that have been looking to other places uh, for their joy, for their satisfaction, for their worth. Would you free them of that? Would you bring them to the gospel, bring them to the truth that it's actually you that matter, that what you think of us matters. And, and, and Lord, that you've told us that for any of us who are in Christ, you love us. You have adopted us as your own children, your son, your daughter. That we don't have to earn it, that, that, we don't, that we don't mess up and lose your love, right? That we're not on this treadmill of constantly trying to do enough for you to love us, but that, that you freely give it to us because of Jesus. Would you allow us to live that way, to not look for the approval of others, but to rest on your approval. Jesus, we pray. Amen.